This is Kathonica episode five. I'm your host, Greg Green. Kathonica, the podcast about horror in all its fictional forms. And with me today is John F.D. Taff. First, John, what does the F stand for and the D stand for? Those were not your, your elementary school grades, I take it. Well, I was raised Catholic, so uh, ah. I was named after Kennedy, originally John Fitzgerald Taff. Oh. Uh, and my... Uh, as part of being raised Catholic, you go through confirmation. Mm-hmm. You have to choose a saint's name. So I don't know how I exactly got my parents to agree to let me to uh, choose St. Damien. Um, but I wow. did. So, wow. So, yes, John Fitzgerald, Damien Taft. That is that is pretty awesome. Okay. Well, I don't blame you for keeping the F and the D in the middle there. That's <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's great. And, and for... Um, <laughs> For, if somebody is watching this or listening to this and they're not familiar with your work, well, first, yes, you're, you're an, an, an editor and an anthologist, but also a pretty prolific author. I, I was just looking at the um, one of my favorite websites, Internet Speculative Fiction Database, ISD, uh, ISFDB.com. You've got listed there, is it 67 short stories? Oh, um, that- it's more like but closer to 150 now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I always, you know, never know how up to date this is, but 150 short stories. Uh, it lists one novel, The Bell Witch. Seven novels. Seven. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is completely, surely, clearly out of date. <laughs> but, uh, but I got to ask, The, the Bell uh, Witch is, that's the, that's the Bell Witch of Tennessee, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the first novels I wrote. Gosh, that's probably 30 some odd years old. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, did you come to Tennessee to, I live in Nashville. So I, I, I got to ask about the bell, Witch. yeah, it's just outside of Nashville. One of my jobs, I was really into trade magazine publishing when I worked full time. Yeah. Um, and I worked for a company that produced an art magazine called decor. And, uh, I started out as a, as a marketing manager for that magazine and a trade sales work salesman for advertising sales so the the territory i had was basically the southeast of missouri of of the united states and so i went into tennessee a lot and so i uh when i was in nashville i would shoot up to uh adams tennessee where it took place so yeah i've been up there probably half a dozen times to do you know research and poke around and that sort of thing so nice nice that's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, as, as far as I know, yeah, it's a beautiful area. As far as I know, it's still the, um, it's supposed to be like the only, the only uh, like death certificate where supernatural causes was yes. listed. That's the cause of death was, it was John, yeah. John Bell. So, it's a cool story. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was attracted to that as a child when I read it as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So uh, I knew that when I started writing, it was something I wanted to explore when I, you know, when I started writing longer works like novels. So yes, uh, yes. And, and uh, in addition to, uh, you know, the, those novels, uh, I, I know you have a number of short story collections mm-hmm. um, and then three anthologies, most recently the bad book and yeah. which was just last year. Uh, and now um, dark stars coming out on March 22nd in just a few days from this right. recording. Um, so uh, yeah, quite a prolific, uh, a background in writing as well as editing, you know, what, what drew you to horror in the first place? Uh, movies, comics, books, whatever. Um, you know, my mother was a, a big believer in reading. My, my family growing up, we were, we were all big readers. Mm-hmm. And my mother was really into horror films. My dad was a wow. Oh, wow. And he worked weird hours and, and, at the time, I had to work a secondary job, so he was very seldom at home. Yeah. Uh, and my mom uh, was relatively young. She had uh, my brother and sister and I, and uh, she liked to watch these horror movies and, and didn't like to be up alone at night watching them. So she would keep us up to watch, to keep her company while she was watching these, you know, the, uh, the old Universal monster movies okay. and then the Hammer, yeah. uh, Dracula films. with Really? Christian and stuff so oh yeah i got a a a visual education in horror pretty early on wow um and and loved all that stuff loved you know uh, like having costello movies when they you know they met the wolfman or they met dracula or whatever so 
um, when I first started reading was comic books and then comic books kind of said segued into science fiction. So I plowed through that. And then when I got to the point where I was looking for something new, I, I went into fantasy <laughs> and read Tolkien and Donaldson yeah. and people like that. And then, uh, you know, when I was about 16, I started reading horror again, uh, started with Poe um, and then just kind of moved into King and Straub and Barker and Rice uh, and then the time at the point where I thought that I was ready to start writing, I was reading horror. So it just seemed natural to, to sort of exercise that in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just a, it's a great, great genre to be in. I, I enjoy, I still enjoy reading it horror over just about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's fun to write. I mean, it's a fun a uh, very expansive genre. I think, you know, horror can do things that a lot of other genres can't do. They just can't be as, as wide ranging because, you know, horror is based on emotion. It's not based on uh, technology like science fiction or Westerns or, you know, I, I think about the only genre that I can think of that's similar somewhat to horror is romance. Interesting. It's, it's right. Too- is based on a, an emotion, love. Yeah. And that can be in any setting, at any time, anywhere, any place, just like horror. Yeah, and I think science fiction, you know, you think, well, it's it's wonder and it's it's the future. Well, it's also, I mean, it's, it's just as uh, um, uh, frequently dread, probably more frequently dread than, than wonder. And those are very... Yeah. You know, very different emotions there but yeah with horror it, it it does there is that that kind of range that spectral right. pardon the pun that spectral range there of of horror yeah. that includes a number of emotions but they all fit within it you know they're going a certain direction right for sure and as a writer that's that's fun to play in because it, it lets you have this enormous palette yeah. to paint on you don't feel like you can't do this or you can't do that uh whereas you know something like science fiction there are definite guide rails on that genre that you, it's really kind of hard to skirt out of, but you yeah. know, horse a fun uh, genre to write in. And, yes. and I think that's what's kept me excited about writing in it. Well, for Well, in your, in your ISFDB um, author tags with the profiles in your profile, mm-hmm. the author tags, I don't know if you've seen these, but they include horror, alternate history, supernatural mm-hmm. thriller, uh, tattoos, golems dogs and death personified so that's that's pretty far ranging and pretty pretty awesome there that's so, pretty yeah. accurate yeah <laughs> cool stuff there well let's um i want to talk about your upcoming book dark stars sure. um I, you know i i think the first announcement of it came out maybe this time last year thank you there's there you go there's the, the uh, the, the printed copy of it, which is just looks beautiful, and the Titan edition as well, different cover looks really, really cool too. Yeah, they both did a really great job with the books. Yes, I'm yes. Really happy with both of them. And uh, I, as I understand, Tor Nightfire publishes it in the U.S. and Titan mm-hmm. is the U.K. Right? Yes. Cool. So yeah, um, but damn, both both editions look great. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in in Dark Stars, um, uh, Josh Mallerman does uh, the, the forward to it and, and starts off by saying horror is having a moment. And then he goes on to describe this book as being kind of like a group photo of the 12 yeah. authors who are part of this moment and their, mo- their part, their little get together, their party where they're all together at the cabin. And then right. at the, on the front porch, let's snap a photo of them. And he goes in and describes what, what each one of them is doing. It's just a wonderful forward. It's great. Um, yeah. it's a, that was a clever idea to do it that way. I, I love it. I love it. And, and, and he doesn't stop there. I mean, he goes on to include, you know, people who are, I mean, people who are like, teenagers kids writing their first horror stories right now people who are a hundred and older who are still getting a thrill out of writing horror and just makes it um you know of course i it's no surprise no secret certainly that the horror community uh it certainly within in the social media space which can be a pretty bitter and divisive space the horror community is one of the warmest most welcoming friendliest and encouraging groups out there and i think it seems like the camaraderie that these authors kind of have in coming together to tell these stories is, is maybe evident there. Yeah, I think the horror community, you know, social media, it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of 
uh, genre you're in, there's always going to be the, the flake outs occasionally and, yeah. you know, the, the little battles between people. But I think, uh, you know, the one thing that I've noticed in 30 years in the horror industry is that everybody is really, really supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and pretty nice. I mean, I, I probably can count the assholes that I've met in the horror genre on one hand. Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I, you, I don't know why it is. Maybe you know, people work out their darker stuff when they write and yeah. to be a nicer person. I don't yeah. know. I, well, I maybe well, tend to think of that way about myself. So, yeah. yes, that's true. You know, it's funny that, um, that you know, you, Joe, uh, Joe Hill has this um, a pretty well-known quote now. Uh, Cargill talks about it a lot, and, uh, which is to say that horror is not about extreme sadism. It's about extreme empathy. And yeah, the guy named I, the, yeah, and that makes, I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, Miguel Rodriguez, who is the um, founder, and I think he's the founder. He's definitely the, like the curator and manager of the Horrible Imaginings Film Fest. I think that's in San Diego. Uh-huh. He, he describes horror as being an empathy building tool. I think, wow, that's, there's really something to that. Well, um, you can't have, I don't think you can have an effective horror story unless you've got a character in there that you make the reader care about. Yeah. Because if you do all these things to that character, those horrible things that usually happen in a horror story, yeah. and the reader doesn't care about that character, they're not going to give a crap about yeah. what you do to that character. Yes. So I think, you know, horror writers probably more so than just about any, any other genre exercise that empathy muscle in writing characters for their for their uh, stories, because if you don't, you, you you simply can't be effective at doing it. So yes. Yes. I think it does. I think it does. And it, it also, I think what I like about horror is it's not just about that one single emotion of fear or terror or whatever. It, it you, a good horror story usually draws out other emotions too, mm-hmm. whether that's love and romance or mm-hmm. uh, jealousy or, you know, the, just the whole spectrum of, of emotional output. Do you uh, do you have a and I, I ask this because I asked Ellen Datlow, another well-known editor anthologist. If she, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, she's introduced a whole lot of people to to a whole lot of horror writers. I asked her if she had like a gold standard horror story. Uh, and she gave me three in particular uh, that she thought were just really like this really does everything a horror story ought to do. Do, do you have a like a classic? Uh, not necessarily 100 years old, but just kind of a classic that you consider a gold standard horror story. Um, you know, when I when I try to think of the kind of horror stories that have had an effect on me, um, one of the ones that leaps out a lot is Dread by Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. I, I have not read that one, no. Um, it's in the Books of Blood. And it's, yeah. it's a, uh, you think it's a pretty straightforward story going in and the way because it's, it's got a sort of clinical detachment to what's going on in the yeah, story. Yeah. Um, and it, it turns in this sort of very pit in the pendulum kind of poesque uh, kind of thing uh, in the way that only Clive Barker can, can do that. And, you know, and I like that. I like the fact that it's, it's got a sort of sleight of hand about it that kind of eases you into what's going on. And then it kind of builds it very, very slowly. You know, what is going on, how horrible it is. And then it jumps as to, this is how horrible it is, but you're not even thinking of where it's going to be at the end, which is at a whole nother level. Oh, wow. I I like that. I like, uh, I like the, you know, there's something to be said for a punch in the face at the beginning of a story but i think there's also a lot more to be said for a story that kind of seduces you in yes uh yes. by building that that base of you know fantasy kind of stories which i guess a lot of horror might fall into mm-hmm. a broad spectrum of that work better when you establish a, a realism at some point in the story because at some point in the story you're going to ask the reader to suspend some disbelief yeah and, yeah. and best way to do that is to build up a really solid foundation of reality so when you make that leap as an author the the reader has no problem going along with you yes yes i think the stories that kind of are are a softer slower start um work better for me i mean yeah 
Yes. It's my preferred one. And, and, but I think, you know, any, any horror story that where the reader, where the writer has figured out how to get the reader to relax into the story before they, you know, put the pins to them. That, that to me is the, the, the true nature of a good horror story. Yeah. I Seduction is a good word for it. I like yeah. that a lot. I mean, I think about um, one of the, of course, one of the all-time classics, classics, the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. You know, he starts off by just saying, you know, but why would you think I, why, why would you think I'm mad? Right. Right. Uh, and he starts, I mean, you, you can see very quickly oh, there's yeah. something really wrong with this guy. And oh, yeah. yet he's just so, but he's so winning and so fetching. And sure. I mean, you know, and you just, you just kind of want to go along for the ride with them. Uh, and, and I would also, I would say um, that in Dark Stars, a, a good example of that would be um, Stephen Graham Jones's story, All the Things yeah. He Called Memories, yes. where you can tell like it, it starts off as being kind of an ordinary, you know, there's yeah. a couple, they're married, it's the pandemic. They both, he doesn't have much work. He's an upholsterer. Right. Uh, and she is a, like a college professor in the psychology department there. They've suspended classes or she's doing it from, from homes. So they're stuck with each other. And he starts to wonder, is she kind of like experimenting on me because, because right. she's got no one else to work with, no undergrads to, to observe or, or whatever. Um, and you just kind of wonder like, is this guy, is he paranoid or, and it kind of goes on for a while, but it, it, it does take a turn where it's, it's, it's something different than what you expect uh, or, or, exactly. or what it starts off as. And then yeah, like, I like, I like it said everyday stuff that kind of lulls yeah. you into thinking that this story, Oh, this is not bad. Right. You yeah. know, this is lovely. This is kind of a nice little story about this couple. Um, spending some time together during a pandemic, and then yeah. it just twists a little, and then yes. it twists a little bit more, and then it twists a little bit more, and then at the end, you're like, "Oh my god, what?" Just yeah, happened? yes, yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll come back and talk about uh, about the author. Well, I do want to just say, Dan, congrats! This is an incredible list of authors. You know, like <laughs> folks who, uh, you know, like Ramsey Campbell, who's been at this yeah. for a long time. He's kind of like yeah. the guy who. Who is the, the 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 connection between like the contemporary horror scene and the and the H.P. Lovecraft August Derleth set because he you right. know uh, correspondence with August Derleth and uh, uh, you he know had a story in the original in Dark Forces. Um, oh, that's right. Literally, is the connective tissue it between that's Dark right. Forces and Dark Stars. Now, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask about that. I've seen a lot of talk recently, just recently in Twitter in particular, about the the book Dark Forces. And of course, Dark Stars, even the, the title seems to be a bit of a, a nod to Dark Forces. Uh, and it's and you reference Dark Forces in your introduction to this. Yeah. Tell me about that book, Dark Forces, and w- why it's so significant. Came out in 1980, so it's been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that book. Well, I think, you know, Kirby McCauley, who was a, a pretty well-known agent uh, back then, um, and, and really into horror, um, pulled Dark Forces together, I think as a way to kind of show that, that the opinion that a lot of people that had at the time that horror was this sort of, you know, you, you hear about it and you just sniff horror. I mean, good grief. Yes. Um, even more so than a lot of literary people sniff at science fiction or fantasy or whatnot. It really was the lowest of lowbrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, literary uh, <laughs> orientations. Yes. But he wanted to show that horror has these roots that go way back and that that horror is indeed and can be a very literary genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had authors like Isaac Bash of a Singer mm-hmm. and George Cutter Oates. Yes. Bradbury. Yep. Um, so, yeah, and I think uh, for me, that book came out at just about the time that I had really started to get into horror. Yeah. So I was reading King and Rice and Barker and Straub. And, and when that book came around, it, it really got me hooked on horror short stories, particularly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I went and explored, you know, the Books of Blood and uh, Night Shift and, all, you know, all the early uh, sort of anthologies that came out around that time, early yes. from mean early for the genre yes Uh, so for me i think in in helping cement horror uh horror is the thing that i was not only interested in reading but also writing yeah dark forces was sort of that that pivot 
yes. me. And I think also it really, it had an effect, I think, that you can see on horror um, in, in the rise of people like, like Straub, particularly, who was a, a very literary horror writer and, and uh, even Anne Rice, who's a very literary kind of horror writer. Um, I think it really showed that these people are, are producing things that you can't just hold your nose up at. Yes, and, yes. Right. Um, I, I see uh, this was the, the, the first appearance. This is the debut of Stephen King's novella, The Mist, which yes. is one of his better known, more, you know, at very, very uh, you know, successful stories, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Ramsey Campbell with The Brood and T.E.D. Klein with Children of the Kingdom, which right. you know, went on to be part of his, his uh, collection, Dark Gods, which is an, another one that's, that's kind of a seminal work. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, it was a big it was a big deal, I think, in the uh, in the industry as a whole. And as for me as a writer and a reader growing up. So when I was casting about uh, with Josh, trying to figure out ways we could work together on a project. Josh Mallerman. Josh Mallerman. Yes. And uh, I thought, why don't we why don't we do an anthology? And then we when we kind of narrowed it down to that. I thought, you know, here's this dark forces back there in the 80s and no one has really touched it since then no one has really uh done anything that i think would either follow up on that or or be a tribute to that so once we hit on that everything came together pretty quickly we thought of a title pretty quickly and then i approached uh a number of authors who immediately said yes and then it kind of kind of it took a while to kind of wind its way through you know how are we going to do this and and uh who are going to invite who's going to say yes and and then finding a publisher um and luckily uh this goes back to uh i think uh the stoker kind of providence uh, mm -hmm. a number of years ago uh where uh usman t malik uh who's a writer that i'd known and, and admired um, said, I can, I know you're here, you're doing this. And I have a contact at Tor that might be interested. Wow. Do you want me to put this together for you and put you two together? And I'm like, sure. And, and by, you know, as we're talking here, would you want to do a story for us? Wow. Said, yeah. So once we got it hooked up with Tor, it, was, it came together pretty quickly. Okay. And um, I, I just got to say, Usman, I don't know how he does it. He's a physician, right? He's a I rheumatologist. Uh, I think he's, I, I'm not sure if he's in Florida or Pakistan now, but he's a multinational rheumatologist. Yeah. He's in Pakistan right now. Okay. Trying to get him to do some of these, uh, these media things for Dark Stars. It's just a little difficult coordinating yeah. time jump. That's right. Um, That's right. But he has a wonderful, I mean, he would have fit perfectly in Dark Forces because he has a wonderful literary sense to his mm -hmm. stories that are, that are just terrific. So, um, yeah. So once we got it with Tor, it came together pretty quick. Um, yeah. I'll tell you how quick. When, yeah. when Tor said that they were interested, I think I had about, I don't know, maybe three or four people committed. Yeah. That they were going to do it. Yeah. Um, but I had a, a list of names that I was going to approach and they were like, okay, fine. Um, fill out the rest of this table of contents as quickly as you can. Hmm. I filled it in a day. Wow. Really? I had the commitment from the publisher yes. and I said, you know, we've already got uh, Mailerman committed, yeah. uh, got Usman Malik committed. Uh, and I had, a, I can't remember who else, but I had a couple of other people committed at the time. You know, they were like, yeah, absolutely. Sign me on. Sign me up. So wow. it came. I don't really think I had anybody. I had somebody and I'm not going to say who, but I had somebody who had to bow out who had originally said yes, just because of the timing. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get him for the next one. <laughs> that I sounds awesome. That sounds great. Follow up to this. Yeah. But uh, I mean, again, like the the list of people you have in here, Livia Llewellyn. I mean, so yeah. you know, and we don't we don't get a lot of new stories from her often. So getting that is an absolute treasure. I'm a big fan of hers. Alma Katsu, who's like whose career has just blown up in the last year, where now she's got you know TV productions going on. Gemma Files, you know Josh Mallerman and John Langan. I mean, it's it really is a who's who of horror. That's, and, that's and in the I had, you know, I had the laundry list of people that I wanted to get that, that were the, you know, they were my dream names. Yeah. And I, 
almost everybody. Yeah. Um, I was worried going in that people like, you know, Livia, who doesn't produce a lot, you know, she's not, she's not a re- hugely prolific, prolific person. Yeah. Uh, and then Alma, who hadn't really written much short fiction. Mm-hmm. So I, I was thinking there would be a number of different scenarios where people would turn me down. Yeah. But, you know, everybody came back and said yes. And everybody was, you know, it was, it was such an easy project. Everybody was very easy to work with. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, um, you had talked about uh, the serendipities between mm-hmm. the stories. Yeah. And there were, there were a number of weird things that, that were, you know. I mean, the, you, the book does not have a theme, right? No, I mean, totally. like, like Dark Forces, it, it was, right. it's not themed. It's, I, right. I get the sense it's more of a showcase of, hey world, look, there is some incredible horror work being done in the horror genre. Um, and here's, here's a, a good sample of it. Yeah, I think when most publishers tell you about anthologies, they tell you to stay away from unthemed ones yeah. Unthemed ones don't sell as well as the theme ones. Um, but I think the, the best way for a reader who's either got a little bit of a background in horror or who knows a, even a little bit more about horror is to read an unthemed anthology and see what the author is really capable of producing when they don't have a prompt given to them by whatever the theme of the, the anthology is. And that's what I wanted to do. And I also wanted to give them a little bit more room than just a 5,000 word short story to, to write. So they were given no, you know, not, not really guidelines. It was sort of like, you know, keep it around 10,000, 12,000 words. Yeah, John yeah. Langan went way over that. But that was also serendipitous. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. I'd love but, to hear that. You know, given the, given the fact that I gave no one any direction, you, you, we've got a number of different, uh, like, Stephen Graham Jones's story and Livia's story both concern industrial sewing. That's right. That's Bizarre. right. Isn't that strange? Yes. Yeah. Upholstery, specifically upholstery. Yes. Right. Um, Stephen Graham Jones's story and my story involve both the pandemic and mm-hmm. isolation. Yes. You know, both took characters that were sort of in modern times, in today times, and isolated them tremendously. Yes. Um, the thing about Langa's story that is so cool is that uh, going back to Dark Forces, all of those stories were short stories. They were all mo- mostly in the 5,000 word range until you got to The Mist. Yes. So the Mist was a, a, a true novella. It's got to be between 20 and 30,000 words, I think. Um, and and uh, Kirby decided to close Dark Forces with that story. So when I got Langa's story in and I got it in last, Yes. And he had gone over, he, it was like 21,000 or 22,000 words for his story. And, and it took me aback at first, but then I thought, well, here's your, here's your end story. Just right. as Kirby McCauley ended his book with a longer piece by King, I'll end Dark Stars with a longer piece by Langan. And it worked perfectly. Yes. And, and it is a little bit, to me, at least a little bit reminiscent of The Fisherman in that it's, it's a it's a a story, a kind of a story within a story. There's a narrative told, you know, two two characters have a, a face off, kind of an unarmed, basically an unarmed face off, and it's almost like they're 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 fighting with some yeah. narrative. It's a it's a really it, it's it's a very strange piece and a very John Langan piece. It's a very John Langan piece, but also in some ways it's not because Langan tends to be very literary. Yeah, and that story. <laughs> has got some really grotesque yeah, moments. Yeah, it's, it's very grisly. It, it, uh, it surprised me how grisly it was, because I don't think yeah. of John Lankin as being that grisly, and it, it gets descriptive. <laughs> it does. And, and in, a, in a good way. I mean, it, he handles it really, really well. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think when you read, uh, there are notes at the back of the book from each of the authors who I, I gave some room to talk about where they came up with the idea or how they wrote it or what they were thinking of. And, and John, you know, kind of said in that piece that he did it kind of as a dare. He wrote the stories kind wow. of as a dare that I, and I think it was Brian Keene who, who had said, I wonder if, if Langan can really write a piece that's just extremely grotesque. Yeah. And, yeah. Nice. Well, hey, thank you, Brian Keene. Yeah, because uh, your dare apparently has produced something really yeah. that, that's quite grisly and effective, and yet so so John Langan at the same time. I, I love that. Absolutely, but um, yeah, yeah, I think 
for an unrelated anthology, there are little squirrely little things. Yeah. Where we, as an editor, I sat back and I'm like, I, there's got to be something weird at work here because to have these little weird little similarities between the stories is is kind of weird. It's unique. Yes. Well, you know, one thing I noticed in these stories um, is that uh, th- there's there's a, you know more than one I'll say that use you know we think about you know what what are the sources of fear in in horror stories like the fear of the unknown. Okay, sure, yeah, that's probably the, the biggest one. But in this case, I think there's a fear of you don't know if your if your senses are telling you what's really going on. There's right. the fear of the fear of your, your the un, the loss of veracity in your own perception yeah. of of time of, of of consciousness of what's going on around you what you think's going on around you uh, and it's pretty jarring and it shows up in several of the stories. At Ramsey Campbell's is a really interesting one where you've got this basically a school kid Maurice. Right. Who and you you get a, a look at his life as it goes through several several decades at least twenty maybe maybe 25, 30 years of his life well actually it goes goes quite a bit longer than that now that I yeah. think about it um, and and you really kind of get this it's very um, um jarring and unnerving because yeah. because you're slipping pretty quickly through scenes of his of this guy's life. Um, and, and you don't know if is, is this just like a guy who's got memory problems or is something else happening to him? Uh, it is from the beginning, like you get this, he does this wonderful thing with the the kid, he thinks he's hearing something, but it's but it doesn't make any sense. So right. he's really messing with this, this kid become a man later with his senses. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, that, that sense of synchronicity also is, you know, you've got Ramsey's Campbell, Ramsey's story, which very fractured reality. Yes. And then Josh's story, which is also fractured reality and people not knowing exactly where they are, what time period they're at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is, there is quite a bit of, of that. And I, I should go back and say uh, it was, it was serendipitous to get Randy, uh, to get Ramsey at all, because yeah. when I first thought about Ramsey, I thought, well, I'll just have him write the, see if he'll write the afterward. Yeah. Um, if, and I thought if I could get that, that'll be gold if I can get yes. that. So when I, I went to him and I said, here's what we're doing. And, you know, would you, would you be interested in reading the stories or writing the afterward? And he said, yeah, I would, I would be interested in doing that. I would also be interested in writing a new story for you. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, planning on that. But how can you turn Ramsey Campbell down? You can't. And what a gem. What a gem he's produced. I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I uh, did it all worked out because it was a, it's a fantastic story. It's utterly Ramsey Campbell. But again, it seems fit within the weird structure that that this book has so yeah absolutely I, I think as people and i would love for other you know once once the book comes out and people read it i hope they go onto social media and onto good goodreads.com mm-hmm. and other places and talk about what they're seeing because there's a, some really interesting connections that i've just noticed so far yeah. um, but, but overall there's just like a lot of great stories by so many really terrific authors now i wonder um did you, uh, were, were you surprised by, um, by what any of the authors delivered? I know it's themeless, it's open, you can do whatever you want, but did, did, did any of them just really surprise you, like maybe something that, that's different from what that author typically writes, perhaps? Uh, you know, I, you know, Langan was probably the one that leaps to mind in that regard. Um, but I got to tell you, I think probably the thing that, it didn't surprise me, actually, as much as, as, delight me yeah uh, you know i asked caroline kepneys one of the things that i thought about doing when i put this book together was really pushing the boundaries of what people think of as horror to, to show <laughs> readers that that horror shows up in all sorts of different ways in in what genres you may consider to be outside of horror yeah uh, and i had been in a book with caroline uh called lullabies for suffering it was put up by mark matthews and it's a book on addiction or. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you wrote a really great story in that. I think it's called Monsters. Um, and so I thought when I was looking at expanding what I was doing with Dark Stars, I thought, nah, I'll ask her and see what she's, she was, you know, she's interested in it. And, you know, she's another one like Josh. She's got a lot going on. She's got television series made out of wow. books and, 
she's prolific. And, uh, but she, she signed on board right away. Wow. And when I got her story and I don't know where in the process I, I actually got it, but I knew when I read it, that it was probably going to be the first story. It was probably going to be a kickoff story because just as I like, as I said, I like stories that kind of lull you in with kind of a false sense of comfort. I wanted dark stars. I wanted the order of the stories to do that too, where you, you, the first story you read, you think this is horror. You know, this is horror. This is just, a, it's, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. And I think Caroline does that effectively with her story. Yes. Um, and you, you mentioned addiction horror. Um, yeah. Alma Katsu has one called The Familiar's Assistant. And it yes. really takes a pretty good look at addiction, but it's, uh, you know, you have a, the, the, the protagonist, Eric is, is a guy who's, um, you know, he's, he's tried probably a lot of different drugs, uh, lives kind of on the, on the edge of society, he has a job, but, you know, he's, uh, he clearly has, uh, you know, his kind of shadowy side here, uh, and he's comes looking for a high uh, of a kind of a legendary kind uh, and gets mixed up with something that's much bigger than anything he's ever done before. But you're, you know, and he starts to get into the the horror and the weird space there. Um, but it's very much a, a story of addiction and what it drives people to do. Yeah, and and the and without revealing what it is she's writing about, yeah. better the reader get that. But when I first got the story, I have to be honest, I was I was a little worried yeah. that she chose to deal with that trope. Yeah, um, but she did it wonderfully, and she upended it beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a story that people may go into, like I did, and think, "Oh God," and then you're <laughs> like, "Oh, oh God." That's, yeah, that, yes. That's a really good look at at that particular trope, and uh, you know, giving it a, a totally different spin. It, it is. I, I know what you mean because there are there are films on this subject that are very popular. Um, and I'm sure novels as, as well, but um, yeah, it, it, it does have a, a, an approach that I think is very different from what I've seen before. It's right. pretty, I mean, it's, it's very dark. Um, yeah, and, it's, it's brutal. It's a brutal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's interesting because, you know, once you get into it, you see exactly what's going on. It's not, it's not, there's no, there's not a lot of mystery left, though it does end on a, a, an ambiguous note. That is really interesting. Yeah. But then I, I think about like Livia Llewellyn's story called Volcano, and right. and it's it's playing around with, well, I mean, first it's a it is a totally Olivia Llewellyn story, and again, I just oh, love yeah. her work. There's yeah. a there's just this tone and this pressure, and I just I don't know, like you know, what really is the nature of the horror or the concern. There's there's something going on that her protagonist Callie. Who's who's a pretty, well, kind of a despicable character. I mean, she's a she's just a very angry and um, not very. Let me just say, unscrupulous person. Um, but she gets into this situation where she's she's going to do some work on campus at, at the college in Ellensburg, and we've seen we've seen the campus at Ellensburg and other Livia stories. Uh, and she gets involved with a kind of a guy who helps run maintenance for the place and a, another student or, or young man who's going to help with the work. And, and, you know, it just gets weirder and weirder, but so much of it is just in the tone. There's also some, I think some stuff going on with the elements. If you just kind of look at the four basic elements, you'll see yeah. like there's some, there's some weird stuff. I, I don't know how to describe the nature well, I, of I, this I, threat. Livia, Livia's story to me is a masterclass in the horror of ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. How you can really take a story and you don't have to, as the author, paint everything. You know, it's not a paint in paint, yeah. paint by colors kind of thing where everything is totally illuminated and the reader knows exactly what's going on yes. at any given time. It's, it's, it's a harder story to do because you've got to give the reader just enough to get that tone and that discomfort across. Yes. Them. But she really does it masterfully. It, it builds to the point where by the time you reach your end, by the time you reach the end, you're probably saying in one half of your mind, what the hell did I just read? But on the other hand, oh my God, that's really uncomfortable. It, it, it is. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it makes me just, I mean, and she's a, 
I, I, I describe her work as uh, she just writes dangerously. It's, yes. It is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned sometimes reading her work because like what she's putting her characters through is so yeah. frightening. And I don't, yeah, I don't know where her characters are going to end up in this story, but I'm deeply concerned for them. Yeah. But but they have this experience. It's, it's very strange, but I'll, 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 I won't say anything more, but it is. It I is love just, the story. It's great to see Livia back uh, with a fresh story, and I, I hope to, to see more from her coming up. Um, another one I'll point out, uh, I hope I get this right, Gemma Files' story, yeah. The sanguin, Sanguintalist. Sanguintalist. Sanguintalist is, yeah. what did you, did you know kind of where she was going to go with that story before she turned <laughs> it in? No, but I know Gemma well enough to know that, uh, not to know, but to probably hope that it was going to kind of go in a more, uh, uh, what would you call that? Kind of a neo-noir, supernatural yeah. noir kind of kind of uh, direction. And, and you know, one of the reasons I, I asked her to be in that is, again, to pull that the boundary over to where she's writing, uh, because I'm not sure that. Yeah, I, I, she's written uh, books like experimental film and that kind of stuff. So, I, so people think of her, I think, as a horror writer. Yeah. But it's sort of at a boundary between horror and 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 dark fantasy. And yes. Yes. Magical realism and that kind of thing. So, yeah. But very, uh, very much so. I mean, it's, it is like probably a little bit in the future, or it's an alternate history thing. Yeah. There's some some super things that we would look at as being supernatural that are happening, yeah, magical realism that are happening in the world, but it's very, it's a very noir story as well. It's kind of a, not a police procedural, but it's, it's very involved with a crime that's committed. And uh, yeah, I think what she did, I applaud what she did because I think that anybody that is able to put those two things together, noir sensibilities in grafted onto like a horror dark fantasy story, really hard to do because first of all noir is hard to write it's yeah. hard to write without falling into that pastiche yes. of, of hammett or chandler mm -hmm. um, and too many writers that tackle that fall into that it just starts to, it sounds awful um but she was able to straddle that line i think nicely between the noir stuff and making it just noir enough to to get the point yeah. to get the atmosphere but also it, it lended itself very well toward the, the magical realism and the horror supernatural aspects of it. So yeah, yeah. That was, to me, that was a really uh, great high wire act that she did with that story. Yeah. It's, it is very, very impressive. And, and uh, as I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, convinced me I've got to read more of Gemma's work. I've read some of her short stories, but I, I need to read a lot more. Uh, yeah, or, film I, I would highly recommend. Yes, yes, I've heard that's on my short list to pick up because it's it's pretty a uh, pretty legendary book. Can can we talk a little bit about the story that you wrote? And, and I, let's talk about the story, and then I want to ask you about the kind of the difference between I guess the full you know coming to this project as an editor and coming to this project as an author, and kind of what how those two different roles I guess pay off in terms of your your satisfaction with the experience of putting something together but let's just let's talk about the story just for a minute um and this, this story is really about uh three people uh um husband wife and a child uh they there's a traumatic experience and and the story is really about kind of the uh, the the rage of the dying and the lostness of those who lose them i guess mm -hmm. uh and 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 I think toward the end, we get a sense of this, maybe this inevitable growing apart that even the closest of relationships can have. Um, it's, it is very much about relationships and there's, and, and it's a very, very tender story and a very, um, uh, you know, in, in its way, distressing story as well. But you really get a look at, at the kind of the emotional dynamics between a, a, a family, a husband, wife, and their child. Right. And even like kind of competition between them and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, what led you to write this story called called Swim in the Blood of a Curious Dream? Which I stole from a Guster song, one of my favorite bands. Okay. I was wondering where that came from, because I know that you, there's a reference to maybe the idea of a curious dream being perhaps something that's maybe more of a German phrase or an idea. I think his mom, well, yeah, his, the boy's mom came up with that phrase or so, used it. 
you know, I wanted to explore how, you know, there's that, that kind of trite thing that divorce is like a death. Yeah. But I wanted to, I wanted to turn that over and look at, well, maybe death is sort of like a divorce. Yes. Um, uh, so what are, what are some of the similarities between the two and, and what kind of an effect does that have on everybody involved? Not just the parents, but the child. So, uh, you know, so it kind of came from there. And then, you know, I, we were driving somewhere, my wife and I on a trip and I do my best thinking in the car when I'm yes. probably should be paying more attention to where I'm, <laughs> where I'm going, what I'm doing, but we passed a rest area and, you know, I, 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 I thought it would be kind of cool to have a store that's set in a rest area. And, and I think that, um, as we talked about Stephen Graham Jones's story, my story, both isolate their characters. Yes. And I think that's a, a great setting for a horror story when you can isolate people from the real world and, and contain their dealings to just a certain number of a small number of characters um, and see how that all plays out with in that very small little setting. Yes. Um, yeah. So when I started thinking about the two ideas, as usually what happens to me was when I have one idea and I have another idea and I put them together, it sparks the story. Interesting. So that's kind of where it all came out. And I think that, you know, I'm 58 years old and I've been through a lot in my life and I had kids and I went through a nasty divorce a long time ago. And <laughs> how did that make me feel? And how did that affect the relationship I have with my children? Um, and just all those things you struggle with when you're going through that kind of thing and just take all that and turn it up as they say in a spinal tap to 11 yes and see how that all plays out when it's amplified yes so yeah i i'm glad you pointed out i i i felt the story was tender that, that there was a, a definite heart to the story and a, and a probably a a melancholy to the story because it's sort of a there is an inevitability to all this and that we're all going to have to kind of face that at one point or another yeah uh, so, yeah, I, I, I wanted, you know, the last lines of the story to me were the most chilling uh, that yeah. the child would have something, the, the father would have something to tell the child. Yes. But also the child, because of what happens in the story, is probably going to have some screwed up things to tell the, the father. It, it, yes, it's, it, it, the story has a resolution. But not really, because like, yeah. where's it going? I mean, it's a very strange ending. I, I I applaud you for that. It's it's it really is is it 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 takes on some some mythic dimensions uh, yeah. or, or echoes, I should say. There's a mythic echo to it, and and I think most readers will probably recognize it once they read it. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But there is there's a resolution, but emotionally, it's left wide open as to how the father and the son are going to relate to each other going forward. And, and, you know, as an author, uh, you know, I've been writing for, I don't know, 30 some odd years, 40 years, probably 40 years, close to 40 years at this point. And, and I, I found as I've gotten older, I've gotten more comfortable in leaving the reader in a spot where they can use their own imagination to kind of think about the ending or where the ending might go or, you know, to give them just enough information to achieve whatever emotion that I'm trying to get after but also leaving it open a little so you can think, wow, this, this might get actually a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you, have, did you have the story before you yeah. thought of this idea? Okay, so this is one that you, you came up with. You and Josh Mallerman came up with the idea of Dark Stars, put this yeah. together. I, you know, at, at some point, um, we decided that I was just going to be the ringleader for it. Uh, and he was just going to write the introduction and, and his story. And, you know, me deciding to be the editor of the book and then putting a story in the book was, you know, that was a difficult decision to make. Of course. Uh, it always kind of smacks of, of ego when an editor sticks one of their own stories in. And I'm no, you know, I'm no uh, different. Uh, but I thought long and hard about it. And I just thought, you know, this is really a passion project for me. Yeah. Uh, and if it were just something like when the bad book, when I edited that and, and David Alexander Ward, who owns bleeding edge public pub books, who published it, asked me, do you want to put a story? In? Huh. And I thought, no, I don't want to. 
Huh. I think should should purely be me uh, coaxing a great story out of the people that I've assembled for that book. Yeah. But Dark Dark Stars felt different. It really felt like a passion thing for me. And I just thought, to be honest with you bluntly, well, screw that. If I'm doing this, I'm putting a story in it. Nice. And people can think what they want in the cards, yeah. all where they may, but, but it was also fraught with a lot of, well, if you're going to put one of your own stories in with a lot of these people, you better make sure it's a damn good story. Yeah. You know, yes. You rise to the occasion and, and write something that, that fits in with this. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, my opinion is I think people are going to see it stands up very well I, with the other stories. Um, I, you don't want to be the person. Well, you don't want to be the person in any anthology that has a story where people go, well, I really love that book, but eh, yes. One yes. story. Eh. So <laughs> You know, that just played on my anxieties more than anything else. But uh, I'm, I'm proud of the story. I, I think it worked. And and again, weirdly, it serendipitously fits, you know, adjacent to some of the other stories in there. So it works. I yes. Think. So, so, so what's the um, tell me what the um, what's the feeling like of bringing, you know, you bring a short story into the world. Oh, you've got this beautiful little short story and you brought a book into the world with 12 terrific stories i mean that's a that's a and as an editor maybe yeah. that's more of a kind of a you think about a midwife or a or a doula sort of thing you know uh, as an as an analogy versus a, a a mom giving birth to a baby maybe I, but what does it feel like to you to have to have done both of those it, it it's odd i mean you know when when uh, other anthologies that i've been in you know i have a story and I really tried to help the, uh, the person who puts the book together to move that book. So I get out there in social media and, and push the book and yes. talk about the stories and, and uh, pimp the other authors in the book. Um, uh, and I certainly have done that for my own stuff. You know, when I've got a collection or, or a novel, I do that. But this is, uh, you know, this is, again, so weirdly personal in a way that, it's a different way than a novel. I mean, obviously a novel or a collection of my own is very personal, but yeah. you know, having, having come up with the idea, having come up with the name, having uh, come up with the list of, of authors, having put myself out there to invite people, some of whom I you know, thought for sure they're going to turn me down, and then uh, working with a connection that I got from somebody to, to reach a publisher Yes. who was excited about it yeah. and then and then to work with that publisher in trying to put together the the absolute best version of this book that we possibly can with a, a great cover and you know fantastic editing on their part um yeah it's a, it's a whole different thing it's a whole you really do i really do feel like like this is a bigger birth for some reason than a than turning over a collection or a, or a novel to a publisher. And then, yeah, you participate in the, in the rewrites and the, the editing and that kind of stuff. But then it just slides away. You know, they pick up a cover and they decide how it's going to appear, when it's going to appear and all that kind of stuff. But I was pretty involved. In fact, I, I really had thought that working with tour was going to be a little bit more of an arm's length relationship yeah but they really involved me in, in really every decision except for the you know frankly you know hardcore business decisions yeah for the, but you know i was involved in the in the cover and and awesome. all that sort of stuff which i didn't think that i probably was going to be involved in so it's, it's yeah it's really nice and i really you know probably more than Anything else that I've done up to this point, uh, weirdly and maybe stupidly and maybe naively and maybe, you know, over over grandiosely, I really hope that this what, I, what we created is one one that's going to be pertinent in the genre for a while. Yeah, that will, you know, I, I flatter myself to think and hopefully it will that somebody is going to read this book and be as affected by the book and the stories in the book as I was by dark forces back yes. in 1980. So I hope so. Yes. Yes. 
Well, and you know, getting this deal with with Tor Nightfire, uh, as I understand, um, they don't publish that many books in a given year. If you get on their publishing calendar, that's a big deal. And they, I, I have heard that they really push, you know, you know, do a good job with marketing and pushing they, they the books do. that you publish. They were incredible, and and you know, they had just started out. Dark Stars is going to be one of the first, I think, five or six books that they've, they've that that imprint has published. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got the uh, Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I know they just put a book out by Thomas Hoyvelt, uh, which is a phenomenal book. Echo, yeah. Echo, um, yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, so they've had a few, but not many. So. Yeah. When they said yes, I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> that's incredible. So yes, yes. I think, I, I, again, I flatter myself to think that that they saw this. To me, wanting to do a follow-up to Dark Forces is sort of when, we, when we had the idea, it was sort of like, I can't believe nobody else has thought about this. Yeah, yeah. That they haven't done this before. Um, so I was more than happy to step into that and say, well, I'll do it. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's really, that's exciting to hear. Just for, for people who are not kind of interested in, in seeing what Dark Forces was about, is it hard to get a copy of that? Uh, I think there was a re, a re new release or a reprint or something in 2006 or seven, but it sounds like that sold out immediately. My, my original issue was a soft cover issue and I lost it a long time ago. I went looking for it vainly in all my books, but I think somewhere in all the moves that I've done over the years, I've lost it or somebody it got destroyed or something. So I had to go back online and find a copy. And my copy, which is a, uh, a book club version, uh-huh. it's, it's probably a book club version that was bought by a library. And then it's got that slick overlay on the, on the slip cover. Yeah. It was $60. Wow. Wow. It was expensive. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's just start off with Dark Stars because that's going to be widely available in, yeah. you know, about nine days from this recording. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll stick with that for right now. Yeah. But, uh, but Dark Force is one to, one to look for. Um, well, if you, can find, it, if you can find it in a used bookstore or yeah. something, it's probably one of those things that's a hidden gem. Yes. Uh, that maybe the bookstore doesn't even know what they've got there, but mm-hmm. it's well worth getting. I mean, Again, just for the the just to see the original appearance of the mist. Yeah, I mean, price right there. Absolutely. Um, but it's 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 filled with great stories. Hey, tell me tell me this um, as as we start to wind down. Mm-hmm. You um you dedicated the book to teachers. Uh, in the dedication, you say this book is dedicated to all the teachers who spend their time nurturing talent, uh, imparting wisdom, and gently nudging people toward fulfilling their potential. Tell tell me about that. Why was that important to dedicate it to teachers? You know, I look at I look at how I fell into writing, mm-hmm. and and I you know I think that it's no different than anybody who who tackles an art as as a as a career choice. Um, you've got to be nurtured at some point to do that, whether that's your parents or uh, grandparents or somebody in your family or friends who are very supportive of what you do. But I think the common denominator in a lot of people who pursue the arts is a teacher. Mm-hmm. At some point along the line, that teacher in whatever setting saw the talent that you might have for whatever it is, dancing, painting, writing, whatever it is, and nurtured that talent. And without that person, I think, in a lot of cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases, if you didn't have, the, if there wasn't an inflection point of that person really supporting you and really pushing you in that direction, it, sometimes I think that, that that may not have happened for, yeah. for some people, that, that if they hadn't had that at the right time, they might, might not have gone into whatever there is that their talent calls them to do. So, and I know that for me, um, you know, I was writing stupid little things in grade school and stupid little things in, in high school. And then when I got to uh, college, uh, I have an English degree. Um, Me too. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, I, I wrote things for the literary magazine and submitted them and, and got some feedback from professors and, and whatnot. And it just, you know, it seemed, I mean, nobody wanted me to write horror. <laughs> <laughs> they all poo pooed that. I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, I got a lot of encouragement along the way from teachers 
Uh, and, and I think it's, it's one of those, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of them in America these days, but it's one of these unsung professions mm -hmm. that, that people don't realize how vitally important it is for, for kids and not just going into the arts. I, I mean, just to have that encouragement on any level that you're, 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 uh, you're intelligent and yes. you're curious and, all of these things are important about your personality so that that people feel like they can go out and do things with the talent that they've been given. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of times that's a teacher and uh, we don't pay them enough. We stress well, so them too much. The last two, I mean, during the pandemic, these last two, two and a half years, what, an what a time of incredible pressure put on teachers and school administrators. And if people can't see now how important that is, uh, because yeah, you you can do it on a screen. It's difficult, yeah. It can be done, but to to be in a classroom in person with you know thirty or some odd kids, yeah. each who has different needs and different wants and desires and talents and anxieties and and all the stuff that goes into that, and to be able to be a person that can deal with that stuff. And deal with it well, and and as the icing on that cake, also encourage children to blossom in the ways that they're meant to blossom. That's a special kind of person, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And, and I know I had a lot of them in in my uh, in my past, so I wanted to kind of pay homage to that. That's well, that's wonderful. And and I just again, I just think coming, you know, coming hopefully toward the end of this pandemic phase with yes. what teachers have been through in schools in general. Uh, what they've been through. What a, a great time to dedicate a book uh, to teachers. So yeah. I, I just noticed that and thought that was that was really cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I, you know, it's a it's a you know usually it's a friend or a family member that I dedicate the book to, but it it seemed more appropriate this time to 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 you know since this was this book was such a due to such an influence on me. Yeah. Uh, back when I was doing it, that the teachers also being an influence on me and a lot of people, it just seemed like the right, the right dedication to make. Absolutely. What, what's the next big project? I imagine you'll continue to write, you know, individual works of fiction, but what's the, the next big project for you? Um, you know, I've got a, a, a sort of sci-fi horror novel yeah. that my agent is shopping around. Nice. Uh, I've got a, uh, why it's not really a why, but it's a, it's a nostalgic 1970s kind of coming of age. Yeah. Uh, horror, thriller, horror book. I've got two collections. I've got a, a cosmic horror novella collection. And then I just finished, I've just put the finishing touches on another short story collection. So I've got all these four things that the agent is juggling. Hopefully we're going to see some movement on those soon. Uh, I've got some uh, short stories coming out. I've got a one coming out in uh, Mark Matthews' book called Orphans of Bliss, which is his third addiction horror mm -hmm. uh, anthology that I think is coming out in May. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I've got a book in Doug Morano's uh, The Hideous Book of Hidden Horrors. Wow. Uh, that's going to be out in May too, I believe. Um, then uh, I can't remember. I've got lots of stuff. i got lots of stuff this that's, year. Now, and if someone's just not familiar with your work, what's the, what's the best book to start on or the best series to start on to start learning your work? You know, I really came up through short fiction. It's, mm -hmm. it's really my, still my love of all the different formats that, that you can write in. Um, so I think a good overview for my writing are the three fiction collections I have. The, the End and All Beginnings, which is the one that I was Stoker nominated for. Mm -hmm. That's got five novellas. Um, and then the two short story collections, uh, Little Deaths, uh, which a uh, what they call a definitive edition was put out by Great Matter Press a couple of years ago. And it's got 24 short stories in it. Cool. And then my my latest one that was now a couple of years old now is called Little Black Spots that I think has 16 uh, short stories in it. And those are a mixture of published, you know, previously published stuff and newer stuff. So mm -hmm. I think. If you're not familiar with me, then those uh, those three collections are probably a, a good introduction to cool. how I write and the kinds of things I write about. So very good, awesome. And um, I think your 
probably most active on Twitter in terms of social media. That yeah, I, I, social media is one of those things that I have to choose my poison. <laughs> yes. And I, I don't particularly like Facebook for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Instagram, I think I'm too old for. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Twitter, and Twitter has been good to me. I'm, I'm able to kind of uh, press my books and, and help other people uh, kind of uh, get better awareness for their stuff and mix in some tiny bits of personal information. Uh, so yeah, Twitter is, you can find me at John F. D. Taft. Yeah. Uh, at John F. D. Taft. Yeah, Taft, T-A-F-F. And I'll, I'll uh, make sure I put that in the uh, in the notes for the uh, for the YouTube video. Uh, well, John, what a, what a pleasure it's been to to a newsletter. If you if you yeah. go to my site and go to my profile, there's a newsletter that I do. Okay. Uh, and I've got a website, but it's it's kind of under construction right now. So yeah. those are the those are the ways to get a hold of me. Sounds good. So definitely follow him. You, you've got a lot of followers on Twitter. So everyone go ahead and uh, follow John there on Twitter. Uh, it's a, I think that'll be a good starting point. Any, any last words, anything you want to share with us before we uh, end this? No, I think it's a, you know, it's a great time for horror. It's a great time to be reading horror. It's a great time to be writing it. There are so many people who are really tearing it up out there writing. Horror. Uh, and I could uh, go on reciting a name as long as, you know, we could spend another 90 minutes of me just reciting names. Yes. So it's a, it's a great time to be out there reading it. And, and I think uh, if Dark Stars is an entree for anybody, uh, then I think it was, it was time well spent on my part and the authors who wrote the stories for it. A- absolutely. Well, again, congrats on a, a terrific book. Getting Thank these you. authors together and the stories are really dynamite. I, I, I think it's going to be a big hit. Well, thank you, Greg. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. 